Next on BYU Sports Nation, opportunity knocks again for BYU basketball. The Cougars face the fourth-ranked team on their schedule. What do you want to see the most improvement in? The play-by-play voice of the 13th-ranked Oregon Ducks, Jerry Allen, joins the show for an in-depth preview of Saturday's showdown in Eugene. Plus, one week from an historic fight hunger bowl. Two female officials in San Fran for Washington and BYU. Former NFL VP of officiating Mike Pereira breaks it down. Let's go. And now, live on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio, it's BYU Sports Nation with your hosts, Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. Happy Friday and happy holidays for that matter. I'm Spencer Linton, teamed up with the smooth operator, Dave McCann. Dave stepping in for Jerem Jordan today. How's it going, my friend? It's my BYU Radio debut. There's a lot of pressure and uh, mentally prepared myself for days. Happy to be here. Got your Cubs hat on, game face on. Cubs hat on. Yeah, this is the pre-combed uh, hair look. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's noon on the East Coast, it's how we do it out west. That's what's beautiful about radio. You want to wear a hat? Okay. Such a great time uh, of year, obviously, with the holidays, and we had some snow a little bit overnight, and uh, so all of Provo is like a postcard this morning, but uh, we know we're heading to uh, greener pastures and, and greener fields with San Francisco next week in the bowl game. Such a big deal to be in a bowl game, and if you're not in a bowl game, you realize that it's really a big deal to be in a bowl game, because <laughs> it keeps football alive no matter what setback your basketball team just had. You go, well, we still have football. That we do. And I'm taking that you're referring to a certain team up north that isn't playing in a bowl game, but we won't we won't go there. Well, I'm also referring to the setback that BYU had to the team up north, <laughs> and I was thinking about it Saturday, going, oh, what a bad performance and and all this stuff. And then we started going, hey, you know what? We got Washington in a bowl game. That's cool. We can focus on that. And if you don't have that, you just go into depression, I guess, and and wait till spring ball. So <laughs> there's always so something to look forward. It's good to. to have. You bet. We have a tradition on Fridays, Dave, and it's a simple one, but this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Yeah, Montel Jordan, 1994, man. I know you know this song, Dave. I I am familiar with it. I thought you were going to say the tradition on Fridays is a a, a full steak lunch is brought into us. We can do that, too. seemed like that would be a good tradition to start. I will talk to my producer, Ben Bagley, about that right now. In fact, hey, Ben, if you want to order steaks, uh, (laughs) we're all about it after the show. Wherever and however you may be listening across BYU Sports Nation, thanks for making us part of your Friday. Your show starter today deals with some other football news. And on the scheduling side, Notre Dame releases the 2014 to 2016 schedules. No BYU. But that doesn't mean the Fighting Irish won't honor the original six-game deal because 2017 to 2020 would still prevent, uh, present four more opportunities. ACC scheduling coming into play for Notre Dame. BYU certainly cooperating will help the chance of those games still happening, but no guarantee. Tom Holmo says they could happen after 2020 as well. Dave, what's your reaction to Notre Dame not scheduling BYU for the next three years? Notre Dame's always said they'll honor their agreement of six games. And so um, until they say, we're not going to play you, you you kind of go with their word. They've been straight up with BYU. Uh, I was back there visiting with the president of Notre Dame and, and doing some some stories as we were back with the football team. And uh, they love BYU. There's no, hey, we're really looking forward to not playing you. Um, so I think we'll, they'll stick to their word. Uh, there's a lot of Cougar fans that push the panic button if they don't see it immediately. But, you know, we have a pretty tough schedule uh, coming in the years ahead. It's okay 
that that we don't throw Notre Dame into into the mix on on one of those seasons because we still need to get bowl eligible. And if if you have visions of grandeur and and all that stuff and want to get to the upper echelon, you need to be undefeated. And uh, you, so you got to be smart. So. I think it's okay. I want to have those four games because it's a great series, but I don't care that they're not in the next three years. 2015 already has Nebraska and Michigan on the road on that schedule. Yeah, you could throw Notre Dame in there. That'd be awesome for what? (laughs) Just to play. (laughs) It makes the schedule great, but yeah, that's brutal. And if you don't want to be, if you don't want to be in the in the in the elite conversation. I don't know if BYU will ever get into the Final Four. And I'm not holding my breath, and, and I don't plot my life's happiness based on that fact. But if they did, it will take a perfect season, and a perfect season also includes a perfect schedule. You just you can't play heavyweights every week. Notre Dame's found that out for a long time. How many years did it take them to get to a BCS game because they couldn't get to nine wins because they, they overscheduled? It's easy to overschedule for the fans because we want a good game every week, but uh, you've got to have some in there where, where you know you can get to a certain number and then have those games where this can put us over the top. Michigan can put us over the top. Nebraska maybe can put us over the top. So, I, I, I'm you know, again, it'd be fun to have Notre Dame every single year, but but if you're looking at for long-term success and, and all that, you just got to be smart. And I think they'll be there down the road. Bronco Mendenhall spoke with us at length about scheduling and where BYU's program wants to go. And creating the opportunity to get national attention is certainly high on his priority list. The next step is winning those games. right? And that's what BYU has not been able to do this year. But... Uh, certainly the schedules are shaken out that they will still have those opportunities in the future, and that's exciting for the BYU Sports Nation fan base. I like the Boise State model. The Boise State model is get to the stage and and win a few of those games. You win a few of those games, the rest of America thinks you always win those games. And then when they see you, they're not surprised that you beat Oklahoma 14-13 to 13 a few years back. Right now that is a surprising game because then they look at the other, well, you lost Wisconsin by 10. Played Notre Dame. That's great. Lost by 10. Did beat Texas, but that was a long time ago. Uh, they've got to win those games, and I, and I agree with you. And Bronco said that. we got to be in the big games and win the big games. That's why winning next week's important. Washington's only 8-4 and four and all that, but beating Washington on national TV on a Friday night as part of all this bowl week elevates your program into the mindset of next fall when they're voting for the top 25 preseason. They might not put BYU in the top 25, but if BYU looks good against a good team and beats them, there's a better chance that it will be on the minds of people going, I need a number 23. Oh, wait, BYU did this. And they got Taysom Hill and, and Jamal Williams coming somebody, back. You know, those guys, you know what? Those guys are good out there. And then all of a sudden, your Boise State, they weren't very good this year. They started the season ranked 17th. Got pounded by Washington right out of the gate, and then reality set in. But they've got that notion of, hey, they played the big boys, and they've beaten the big boys, and it's amazing how much mileage you get out of that. So BYU, look, Bronco Mendenhall hasn't skated around what they want to do, and that's compete for national championships. It's a long road, but BYU, with scheduling at least, and recruiting, they're getting on that road. Now for the really important matters. Dave, you're an anchorman. Have you Alleged. seen the Anchorman series? No. Uh, well, I saw the first movie, and then our our crew up at KSL in Salt Lake City went to the late night show the other night. <laughs> but I had a long day, and I and it was snowing. I'm like, I'm out of here. So, uh, but I had heard rave reviews from the group. I know Jer- for Anchorman. I know too. Jerem Jordan is listening somewhere, and and we saw it yesterday. And uh, yeah, it. Uh, 
the hilarity the hilarity scale uh, definitely peaked at, at a few moments. Oh, noises! <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what was amazing to me is how they marketed that film, and and we'll see if that that translates into how future films are marketed. But uh, Ron Burgundy has been everywhere. And uh, I watched him. He actually sat in in North Dakota and a anchored newscast. a newscast, a real newscast. And uh, and then he was uh, he was going to be on Sports Center the day the Winston uh, Court thing came out. So yeah, then they good pulled on that. ESPN to pull that. But I saw him with uh, interviewing Peyton Manning, and 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 he's just been everywhere. In fact, I'm somewhat tired of him, and I haven't seen the movie. So you know that they've just overly marketed <laughs> this thing. We'll see if that changes the way they they take a movie and make it real life with a character. So pretty soon people go, well, I don't know if Ron Burgundy's a real person or not. I've worked with a real Ron Burgundy in California. <laughs> like I have worked with Ron Burgundy. I'm not kidding. <laughs> His name's not Ron Burgundy, but boy, does he exemplify who that character is. I'm sure is. at times that was funny and more times it was obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not so funny when you're sitting right next to him. Uh, okay, so the Anchorman for me... The second one, I, I bet it'll get better the more times I see it. That's how I felt about the first one. I feel the same way about the second one. It'll get better the more you see it. You can join the conversation, as always, by tweeting at BYU Sports Nation, commenting on and liking our Facebook page, weighing on today's poll question on BYUTVSports.com, and it goes like this. Where do you want to see the biggest improvement for BYU basketball tomorrow against 13th-ranked Oregon? You have three options. Free throw percentage. Right now, it's 68%. That's not good. Much lower without Tyler Hawes, who's at 85%. Three-point field goal percentage, just a hair under 36%. That's not so good Also not great. (laughs) Defense giving up 78 points per game. Not surprising because they want to play at such an accelerated pace. But Kyle Collins were set after the Utah game. They want to be at 65. They want to hold teams to 65 or under. Tough to do. Well, it would be a good thing to do. They're number one scoring team in the WCC, and they're dead last in defense. And that means on nights when you're not hitting shots, you're going to get beat. And so they have got to fix that defensive number for nights just like the one we saw at Utah. They're not hitting shots. They're not making that extra pass. Carlino's not getting a single assist. Uh, what are you going to do to stay in the game is play defense, and they didn't do that. So You can rely on that. If shots aren't falling, you can always – Count on your defense. That's a great point. Okay, so sound off at BYU Sports Nation. Tell us your opinions if you want to see something else besides free, uh, free throw percentage, three-point field goal percentage, or defense. You can go D, add your own in. You can Absolutely. write your own in. You can, yeah. So, Dave, yeah, I've, thinking about I would that. Put, I have one for D. I've, I've got my own idea on that. I'll share with you later. <laughs> okay. If I remember it. BYU Sports Nation airs weekdays, noon Eastern, 10 a.m. Mountain on Sirius XM Channel 143, BYUradio.org, the BYU Radio iOS app, and Dish Network Channel 980. Access our show on demand at BYUradio.org. We also have a rebroadcast weekdays starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Rise and shout, my friends. It's Friday, and it's time for What's Trending. What's Trending in BYU Sports Nation. Topic 1. You heard it from us. Now it's right from the coach's mouth. Well, I, I think, you know, obviously we played good teams. I mean, the, the teams we've been beat by are forty and one or something like that. Okay, so, and I, I think the teams that we actually have beat have maybe three or four losses at this time. You know, when you take the Stanford game and the Utah State game and the, uh, the Texas game, they've only got a handful of losses between them that group too. So, you know, the disappointing part is that we, we've had opportunities out there and we haven't capitalized on all of them but we have another one here on saturday so we'll just look forward to it hey look it's time to get a win 
Jeremy and I talked at length about this yesterday. You have so many opportunities. This is the fourth-ranked team you're going to play, but you can't get the win. Now it's time to take that opportunity and change that word to victory. You know, beating Stanford, uh, if they were playing Stanford this week and went to Stanford and beat them uh, like they did uh, to start the season, it would be a stunning victory. It would carry Stanford more traction. Just had, they're off to a decent start, just beat North Carolina uh, or Connecticut. Connecticut. Was it Connecticut. Connecticut. And then, um, but the fact that BYU put over 100 points on them to begin is kind of lost a little bit. That's a huge victory. And the, and the one over Texas, that's a huge victory, too. Texas just beat North Carolina. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. But um, they lost their identity so fast against the Utah game. I think you could hear Dave Rose's frustration there. I mean, all the numbers and all that stuff. But but uh, in, in just a matter of minutes, it looked like BYU hadn't played a game all season. And uh, that was fascinating to me. They, they couldn't remember the plays to run. They weren't playing defense. They weren't blocking out. They weren't making passes. Uh, and they suffered their worst loss of the season, worse than nationally ranked Iowa State, worse than nationally ranked UMass. Um, Wichita State. Worse than nationally ranked Wichita State. They're all better than Utah. Uh, but So I was just surprised at how fast BYU lost its identity. And then to go a whole week and now Oregon on Saturday, it, I, I think it's significant just to go back out and restore – who they are because they lost it so fast and i think i think that surprised dave rose as to oh my gosh what what are we never mind those nine games before where we thought well we're this this and this dave rose here's the here's the good thing he does not lose back-to-back games often granted he is playing 13th ranked oregon they're 10 and 0 for the eighth time in program history. They're, they're on fire. They are playing really good basketball. They're more efficient than BYU. They score a lot of points. They shoot better than BYU right now. They play better defense than BYU right now. So this is an immense challenge for the Even Cougars. if you don't win Saturday, and it's highly likely they won't, even if you don't win, it's still a long Christmas break. You've got to restore order in yourself because you got San Diego January 4th, I went Loyola Marymount, I think, before that to Pepperdine start as well, yeah. To start conference play, and then it's then it's uh, now you, you're 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 building your future here. But they got to come back from Oregon, knowing who they are. I think here's the here's the deal with this Oregon game. This is the last quote unquote big time game, really until January 25th against Gonzaga. Gonzaga's probably going to be ranked and have gotten off to a solid start in West Coast conference play. If BYU wants to remain relevant at least to a degree nationally. Winning obviously does that for you because then you carry the luster of knocking off Oregon on their home floor, handing them their first loss, and then you go through the weaker portion of your schedule. But if you lose to Oregon, you're 8-5. and five. You've played some good teams. Your RPI and strength of schedule are still good, but nationally not a lot of people are going to be talking about you when you're taking on Loyola Marymount and Pepperdine and San Francisco and those teams until you get to Gonzaga, which is the big-time game again on ESPN. So performing well against Oregon is really crucial for BYU to remain relevant on a national scheme. I mean, from a national perspective. Yeah, and I'm not even sure they even are right now. They, I just don't think they're relevant per se, but they can get relevant. Uh, and unfortunately, it's on the Pac-12 network, so a lot of people won't see it. But if you beat Oregon, you're on Sports Center Saturday night. The bowl season hasn't completely engulfed their hour of programming, so you get some play in there of people going, "Oh, yeah." Oh, yeah. I remember those guys beat Stanford, whatever. But you're right. They'll disappear. In, they'll be on BYU TV and, and some ESPN games, but they get into that uh, West Coast Conference TV network thing, and you're just going to disappear. So you're right. It's the last chance to say, hey, we're out here. Remember us, and we want you to remember us in March. 
when when you're passing out seedings. Opportunity knocks on Saturday in Eugene. Make it a victory. Topic two. And now it begins. While they're anxious to get back to practice, they're, it's clear that their mind isn't all the way there in managing finals, um, but they're anxious to play. Um, and it's fun to get started again in terms of uh, preparing for an opponent. Okay, so yesterday's poll question was, are six practices enough for BYU to get ready for Washington and the fight Hunger Bowl? Bronco Mendenhall's won four bowl games in a row. His methodology has paid off, but you can argue that BYU hasn't played a team as individually talented as Washington, so are six practices enough? He says they're rusty. They're still kind of focused on finals, but they're excited to be there. What do you think about that, Dave? I think, number one, they're healthy for the most part, and that's the biggest Mm -hmm. thing for this football team as we've seen them dinged up going into some of their bigger games. Um, He's 6-2 and in bowl games, so he gets to go with his theory. Uh, if he was two and six in bowl games, it'd be time to revamp. And uh, and he told us on True Blue last week. He said, you know, he's going to know here in the first few practices if this was a good idea. He goes, but it's worked for us. We're going to continue to do it. And uh, if you look at uh, where they've played defensively in bowl games, it's been pretty good. I think they've averaged seventy nine yards on the ground in uh, in in bowl games under Bronco Mendenhall. Well, Washington's a really good running team. So did the rest and relaxation get them ready to stop Washington's ground attack? It has in the past. Uh, we'll all find out together in the first few series if if BYU's come to play. But the theory is six and two. That's a pretty good percentage. I'd keep going with that. Jamal Williams is absolutely okay with the break. In fact, he said that he's more focused. Uh, pretty much, we just used the break to to weightlift and condition and just to stay in shape. But um, it was a it was a good break. I enjoyed it. Uh, I kind of felt it today in practice today, and uh, it was, it was just a good time to to go away from football just a little bit and and get our mindset ready for for the bowl game now. So. Um, the the break is what we really needed to get our bodies healthy, and now we're ready to go. One week from today, BYU will leave for San Francisco on Sunday, spend the holiday in the Bay Area, and then, of course, the game on the 27th. There are some injury updates. Spencer Hadley dealing with an MCL. He tore it a few weeks ago. It is unlikely that he will play. Broncos said that uh, BYU fans should not plan on Spencer Hadley suiting up really a tough break for the senior linebacker. Devin Mahina, however, was questionable, unlikely. Now he's been upgraded to probable, dealing with a groin issue. Rob Daniel, defensive back, was banged up a little bit, but he is good to play. So no Hadley, Mahina probably, and Rob Daniel back in the lineup. Daniel's probably the most important of that three to be uh, BYU survived without a tight end all season long, with the exception of the Boise State game where we actually saw it come on. But uh, Robertson Daniel, when he was out, that whole secondary shifted and, and not into a good place. So that's big to have him healthy. Coming up next on BYU Sports Nation, we dive into the Twitter machine. Where do you want to see the biggest improvement for BYU Hoops tomorrow against Oregon Plus? Why this is an historic fight hunger bowl. Two female officials. We talked to the officials liaison and former NFL VP of officiating Mike Pereira. This is BYU Sports Nation. Stay with us. We'll have more BYU Sports Nation right after this. This is Taysom Hill, and you are listening to BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Spencer Linton and Dave McCann hanging out in uh, Studio 2. Dave stepping in for Jerem Jordan today. You can follow us at Spencer underscore Linton and at Dave McCann, I believe. Right, Dave? 
Yes. Or you, what's your, what's your official? KSL. KSL, that's right, the, the official Twitter handle. Join the show's growing Twitter following at BYU Sports Nation. Listen, we're one week away from Bowl Day. Starting at 7 Eastern on Friday, December 27th, we'll show 30-minute versions of the 2010, 2011, and 2012 BYU Bowl games leading up to a live countdown to kick off from San Francisco and Provo to get you ready for BYU and Washington. Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler will be hanging out by the bay, our live reporters at the bowl game. And I'll be back here in Studio C with uh, Lemma Harrington, Brian Logan, and Andy Boyce. We have a plethora of bowl coverage for you December 27th, starting at 7 Eastern on BYU TV. Our first guest today on BYU Sports Nation, his name is Mike Pereira. Listen to this. Resume, former vice president of officiating in the National Football League, current rules analyst at Fox Sports, and officials liaison for the Fight Hunger Bowl. Look, Mike, you've done it all in the world of officiating, dominated with the stripes on. Now that you don't wear the uniform, when you see officials make bad calls, are you throwing up your hands and screaming at the TV like the rest of us? I am. I mean, I have transitioned to a fan in the I got to admit, it's very frustrating. And, you know, and I understand now in all these years when I was inside in the NFL, um, working in officiating, I, I now understand how people would call me and be so frustrated because it is tough to see. And um, while I still am an official at heart and it hurts me, um, you know, because I know that the guys that are out there on the field are doing the best they can and they don't want to make mistakes. And I know how they're affected by it, you know, officiating much like the game has just changed so much um whether it's instant replay or or this whole emphasis on player safety it's just been kind of tough to watch mike knowing what you know now especially as you look at all the camera angles while you're reviewing uh whether a play should be overturned or not uh for fox sunday um how would all of that made you a different official if you knew then what you know now I don't think it would have. I don't think it would have affected me on the field. I mean, the the everybody used to talk about how officials were hesitant when replay came in, and I think that was true to a degree because there were certain categories in replay that I called one way categories. You could only review them if you called them one way. So on the field, it was better for you to lean toward the one-way side so that if, in fact, there was a mistake, it could be corrected. And that was the fumble versus down by context, uh, that situation. And so that caused officials to officiate against uh, their instinct. Um, Once that got corrected and put into the system, there's really nothing now that uh, is affected by what you call on the field. So you have to make a decision before you can even get into replay and and i would say to officials now coming into the league you know they are or they really in the old system 86 to 91 they were intimidated by replay i really do believe that and they did not like replay because it took so much of it out of their hands and put it directly into the hands of somebody in the booth much like it is in college now and i would say to officials Actually, remember this now, that replay is your friend. It's not your enemy. And replay is going to expose mistakes. There's no question about it because there's going to be more camera angles and they're going to, they're going to have to show things that maybe they wouldn't show before. But ultimately, if replay gets the call right, you will get the benefit of it. You won't be saddled with the uh, incorrect call. You won't be saddled with the negative consequences that go with making an incorrect call, which eventually – 
you know, could lead you to be replaced someday. So I, I would really work with officials. And if I was going back on and just saying, I'm going to forget about replay. I'm going to do the absolute best I can, knowing that I'm not going to be perfect because it's impossible to be perfect. Um, but I'm just going to do as best I possibly can. Mike Pereira, former vice president of officiating in the NFL, current rules analyst at Fox Sports, and officials liaison for the Fight Hunger Bowl. Mike, history will be made in the Fight Hunger Bowl. Two female officials on the field together. Tell us a little bit about these women, their background, and how this whole thing came together. Yeah, you know, they're coming from Conference USA, which is a very proactive league in terms of diversity, both with minorities and with women. Um, Gerald Austin, who is their coordinator of officials and uh, and uh, is a former NFL referee, uh, really wanted to seek out and establish a diverse staff. And so his, his real number one that he went after was Sarah Thomas, who was going to be the line judge in the uh, in the game on Friday. And uh, and Sarah is uh, has now worked some some bowl games, a couple of bowl games before this one. Um, she she can work, and as a matter of fact, uh, you will hear her name in the NFL. I say within two years, probably. Wow. Um, because the NFL is also, you know, concerned with diversity in their officiating program. And she deserves to be there. She's gone through the process. She worked 10 years of high school football. Um, she's had a couple of uh, bowl games prior to this. She's been to NFL training camps. She's part of the NFL developmental program. And so I, I, it could be as early as next year. If not, I'd say the year after that. And I think it's a a great barrier to be broken. Maya is uh, is newer to the scene. Maya Chaka is newer to the scene, and she'll be the headlines. I never, I don't even know what to call her. Is it <laughs> headlinesman? Which is that's what the uh, the rule book says. But she's the uh, headlines the person. Headlines person. <laughs> she's the headlines person for this game, and she's another talented official that has worked her way through the ranks um, and gotten into Conference USA. So I, I think it's really unique and and i think it's terrific and i think it's part of a terrific bowl the only reason i got involved with this is because i was so fortunate to get uh, quite a few bowl games um, when i worked in college in the pcaa and the WAC. as a matter of fact i worked many games in provo oh you've seen uh, byu oh yeah it was great i mean we used to love to go to provo to work uh, football games a total great experience but Getting involved with this bowl that this bowl that gives back to uh, to fight hunger and uh, and then for me to give back to the officials, uh, you know, because I was them. I was one that traveled to the bowl games, and your experience was somewhat predicated whether it was good or bad by the host. And so when I volunteered to do it last year, um, it was my opportunity to give back and. And I look forward to doing that with this group coming in from Conference USA. And I say we're going to have fun. But the number one thing that we're going to do is prepare to work this football game. And we want to leave San Francisco as a crew with people saying, you know, who were those? We don't even know. Were there officials in that game? <laughs> I mean, that's what we want people to say when we uh, leave the field in San Francisco on Friday. Mike, are there a lot of women waiting to break through into college football as as officials? No, there's not. Um, you, you know, there, there certainly are more, but, I mean, when we're talking more, I don't think you're talking more than, uh, 
you know, more than a dozen. Um, this is not the first time that multiple women have been on a game. There was a, uh, I believe it was a SWAT game where the entire crew was women. Um, you know, but but really, it's there's just no feeder process. You know, there's a there's a feeder process in the NBA because of the fact that you have women's professional uh, basketball and women's college basketball, but there's not really a feeder program of any kind in football. So it's, it's a tough climb for a woman. Um, I'd like to see more get involved, but you got to get involved just like Maya and, um, and, uh, and um, Sarah have done on the lowest of levels and work your, your way up. But uh, I, you know, you don't see, if you go to the major conferences when you go to the five majors, when you're talking about, Big Ten, Big Twelve, SEC, ACC, uh, Pac-12. How many women are in those programs? Zero. So you, you know it's it's a it's a tough grind for them and a tough barrier to break. And I'm hoping that uh, Maya and uh, Sarah do their game on Friday, and then Sarah, you know, in her uh, eventual uh, position in the NFL, will will encourage more people, more women, to get involved. Mike, the layout at AT&T Park has both teams on the same sideline. They both like to shuffle in guys really fast. They like to do the hurry-up offense the whole time. And and I'm not even sure how they're going to have guys running on and running off. Uh, From an officiating standpoint, how do you manage the game and have all of that coming from the same sideline with, with players crossing over and all that stuff? You know, I, I thought last year when my first year went involved with the bowl in my first game at, uh, at AT&T Park, I thought the same thing. I said, this is going to be rather cumbersome. It reminded me of, a, of an NFL Europe game that we had um, that uh, I think it was back in 98 or 99 where one end zone was unplayable, so we had to play in the same direction the entire game. Um, and you thought, well, how are teams going to know where to go and that type of thing? And what we found out then is kind of the same thing that we found out um, at AT&T last year that I found out is that teams adapt very quickly. And from the officiating standpoint, your key is slow it down. Um, you know, don't be quick into chopping in the ready for play when you have to start the 25-second clock. And as a timer with the play clock, slow down. Give it a couple beats before you start the 40-second clock. So you get the um, you know you get the opportunity to get substitutions in and and remember the the onus is on the offense here because the college rule is the same as the NFL rule is now if the offense substitutes then the defense gets the opportunity to match up so even if they're coming from the opposite end of the field to match up down at the opposite 10 or 15 you know the officials are going to give them time to uh, match up so that they don't get you know, caught in the middle of the substitution. Mike Pereira, former vice president of officiating in the NFL, current rules analyst at Fox Sports, and a liaison for the Fight Hunger Bowl, joining BYU Sports Nation with Spencer Linton and Dave McCann on a Friday. Uh, your thoughts prompted a question for me, Mike, and that is, as an official working the Fight Hunger Bowl, are they fighting to see who gets to work the sideline with no teams on it? <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that be that'd be like unbelievable. So <laughs> you, the the winner the winner is the headlinesman because you are going to be opposite the side of the press box, and so 
I think that's the person that wins. Can you? I can't even. If you're the if you're the linesman or the side judge, to have no coach on the sideline or no players on the sideline yelling at you is pure joy, especially in college, <laughs> because in the NFL, you know, you switch at halftime, so you you get you get you get one coach each half, whereas college there is no switching. So. Uh, so yeah, that uh, the op- the people with no coaches are going to have a cakewalk. They're going to they're probably going to gosh, they'll be bored without anybody yelling at them. How much time do you spend listening to those coaches yelling at you? And uh, do you tend to listen to the guy who yells at you the least, or the one who's just badgering you right from the start for four straight quarters? I, I think you tend to listen to them really all of them very little. I mean, you've learned early on try to focus out unless their question is legitimate. Um, if they're just upset and they're arguing, you know, you you let it go as long as it doesn't get personally abusive. Um, but you you know you you do let go in one ear and out the other. By the same token, I've always been amazed by some coaches that that basically keep it up for 60 minutes because if they think they're getting an edge by, you know, maybe buying a call down the road, I don't think they could be more wrong. <laughs> I mean, anybody's human nature, and, and even though it goes in one in and out the other, if it's constant, you know, you, you it just wears on you. So I've never, I've never kind of agreed with that logic that maybe a coach would ride an official thinking he would get a call at the end, but – you know, I, I've always, you know, felt with coaches they'd be better off those that those that keep it up for the entire game. You'd be better off coaching than you would uh, yelling at the officials because you have no control over the officials, none whatsoever. And that's part of the frustration because every other element you can pretty much control. You can call the plays, you can substitute players, uh, you can accept or decline penalties. But you can't control those that are actually throwing the flag. And uh, so the, the more you and the quicker you realize that it's the nature of the game and that there are going to be calls that go against you and there are going to be calls that go against your opponent. But the more you realize or the quicker you realize you ought to stick to coaching and not to officiating, I think you're better off. Mike Pereira, officials liaison for the Fight Hunger Bowl and current rules analyst at Fox Sports, former NFL official as well, joining BYU Sports Nation. Mike, you've talked about the credentials and the resumes for Sarah Thomas and Maya Chaka, and certainly they are qualified and very well prepared. Unfortunately, in our society, there are people out there that say, look, women don't belong on a football field. It's unfortunate, like I said, but they're out there. What do you say to those people? Well, I mean, I say reserve those uh, comments until after you see them work. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm <laughs> I hate to say it, but I'm a little bit of the uh, the flip side of that conversation. When I sit in an airplane and the captain comes on and says, "Welcome to flight 2422," if it's a female voice, I feel real good about that <laughs> because I know she's going to be really conscientious. And chances are, she wasn't out drinking the night before. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of feel like that, uh, you know, barriers do need to be broken. And I don't, I don't really care about color or gender or age or anything when it comes to officiating. Just give me competency. And, um, you know, we, we've all seen on the NFL level this year where there have been real breakdowns. Um, I, I, just, I just feel like get the best there can possibly be without regard of what they look like or their gender or age or anything and go from there. So to those that say that, 
You know, I mean, that prejudices that people have in sports that one day will be broken down, I hope, and that it becomes not part of uh, the conversation in the future. Great insight from Mike Pereira. Rules analyst at Fox Sports, officials liaison for the Fight Hunger Bowl, former NFL referee who got it done, game in and game out. My last question for you, Mike, is uh, dealing with uh, a guy named Ed Hockley. And if uh, you're a football fan, you, you may know Ed because that dude is flat out ripped. I mean, he is he is a behemoth of a man and an official. Is he the guy that all officials seek to emulate physically in their profession? Well, I don't think you can. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to get as buffed out as uh, as Ed gets. Um, you know, I, I worked with Ed, obviously, for a very long time in the NFL. And uh, if you really want to get on his bad sign, you know, accuse him of taking supplements or human growth <laughs> hormones, uh, you know, because then he'll he'll pound you straight into the ground. He, he works out at the gym unbelievably. Uh, you know, so so much time is spent in the gym part see for him like physical his physical training is as much or equally as important as his mental training and uh you know he takes he takes pride in the way he looks he spends a lot of time in the gym and then he goes out and buys extra small shirts so that he looks even bigger that's the key shirts on (laughs) that's Uh, the key even rolls up rolls up the cuffs a little bit but uh he uh you know, people talk about him about being so buffed and, and that kind of stuff. And from my standpoint, I know when I was in charge of the program in the NFL, what I would do is I would actually take new officials or struggling officials at the beginning of the year and I'd put them on Ed's crew. And the reason I would do that is because I knew he would make them better. That's how much effort he puts into this whole officiating thing. And that is a far greater compliment than, um, you know, than the fact that he looks like he could play left tackle. (laughs) He's uh, quite a guy. Great stuff from Mike Pereira. We appreciate the time. Uh, We'll see you in San Francisco. And uh, you can catch him on Sundays on Fox Sports. Thanks, Mike. You got it, guys. Take care. Thanks, Mike. All right, coming up on BYU Sports Nation, we dive inside our Twitter question of the day. Where do you want to see the biggest improvement for BYU hoops tomorrow against Oregon? Oh, by the way, we're talking to the play-by-play voice of the 13th-ranked Ducks. This is BYU Sports Nation. We'll be back with more BYU Sports Nation right after this. This is BYU Sports Nation on the BYU Radio Sports Network. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Spencer Linton and smooth operator Dave McCann hanging out in place of Jerem Jordan today. Hey, Saturday, the 9-1 women's basketball team plays Utah State. Trying to get back on the winning track after a tough double overtime loss to Utah last Saturday. Game that Dave McCann called. Watch and listen to the Aggies and Cougars live on BYU TV and BYU Radio for Eastern to Mountain. It's uh, it's how we roll, man. So you know, earlier in the show, we talked about how it'd be nice if some stakes were brought in yes. uh, as a new Friday tradition. Yes, Michael Miner, who runs BYU TV Sports and all that stuff, sent sent us in two wooden stakes. <laughs> who just comes up with wood here like at literal, BYU TV? Literal wooden stakes. We, we need to take back. a picture Part of, of this those. building isn't standing so straight because there's a couple pieces of wood <laughs> missing from it. But uh, with some A one, though, I would probably chew on that bark. Thanks, Michael. A1 makes everything taste better. (laughs) 
What do you want to see as the biggest improvement for BYU hoops tomorrow against Oregon? We'll dig inside some of those answers on social media right after we bring in our next guest to BYU Sports Nation, and that is the voice of the Oregon Ducks, Jerry Allen. Jerry, welcome to the show. How's it going? Guys, I'm doing well. How are you all this morning? Doing fantastic. All right, Jerry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play. We're going to test your Oregon Duck knowledge. Uh, and see how extensive it is, and I'm sure it's extensive. I worked with a kid named Chris DiVincenzo, who was a producer for me in Palm Springs. Do you remember the DiVincenzo brothers from the football team? Uh, Yes, I do. Mike and Chris. Okay, Mike had a big play in a bowl game. Can you name that game and what he did uh, during the bowl game? (laughs) you got to be kidding me. I go to... I go from my living room to my family room, and I can't remember why I went into the other room. <laughs> you would dog you. I know. It's so, it's so abstract. I, yeah, I, I almost didn't want to ask you, but Mike intercepted a pass in the Sun Bowl, uh, I think, back in 2008. It was late oh. in the game. Come on, we all remember right, that. Right, I remember that now. And ran, and ran uh. it back. The only reason I know that is because his brother Chris showed it to me multiple times when we were in the same newsroom down in Southern California. I think remember we're in El Paso and there was a lot of tequila around there and I'm not I can't remember a lot about game day that day. <laughs> hey Jerry let me ask you a football question um, before we get to basketball but uh, Bronco Mendenhall had uh, had some comments earlier this week on True Blue on BYU TV about Mac Brown and and how he was let go and disrespect and also went on to talk about uh the way coaches are paid and some you know at, at seven million dollars as as opposed to uh maybe some questions that they've been getting paid too much and who they answer to and and all those things those comments made it into the dallas morning news and have been floating around the country a little bit well oregon plays texas uh in mac brown's final game weigh in on uh on how texas unloaded mac brown and and how you feel about that well, I'm kind of old school. I've been around a long time. I was a part of the Rich Brooks era when uh, Oregon gave him 18 years, mostly losing seasons, to finally turn it around and get it going, and he did. And, uh, you know, the, the new society, our new era is what have you done for me lately, and and you don't get much credit for who you are, what you've accomplished, and your past history, and, and, and that's sad. I see it in sports. And it, it really it bothers me a lot. I, I feel bad for what happened to Mac Brown and the way it's happening. Um, but you see it happening to a lot of coaches now. Uh, the, the whole sports world has changed. I used to be a great NFL fan and an NBA and a baseball fan, but free agency kind of changed all that when guys started hopping ship. And it's hard to be, you know, uh, have your favorite team anymore because you knew all your guys. And I feel bad for Mac. For Oregon, it's unfortunate because I think Texas is going to be sky high emotional for him to play for him. And uh, emotion always plays a, a great part in a football game. But I, I, I feel badly about the way that was handled. I think Mac Brown deserved a whole lot more than that. Jerry, the more money these coaches seem to make, and I asked Bronco this question, the more money you make, it more often you answer now to people who don't run the university. Um, and that includes the president and the athletic director. Uh, and, and, you know, just on rumor that Nick Saban might go to Texas, Nick Saban got a $2 million raise from, from the Alabama folks. Uh, is, is that what, what is wrong with college football and the relationship with these coaches is, uh, is who's, who's running them, the boosters that pay them an excessive amount of money or the school president that makes, you know, a whole lot less than he does? 
You know, oddly enough, I think it's kind of all relative. I, I think back uh, when I started uh, in college sports, uh, the boosters uh, still had, I, I think, as much power then as they have now. The dollar amounts have changed, but I, I can remember uh, some of the boosters back in the uh, 70s and 80s probably weighing in pretty heavily on the successes of the team and who was doing what and why and uh, whether or not they were continuing to support the program. So I, I don't know that that's changed that much. I think the dollar amounts have changed tremendously, and um, and and that's put extra pressure on. Certainly, there's no doubt about that. But I, you know, I think that's all gotten out of control. I think sports in general, be it professional or collegiate, have gotten out of control with the money. It uh, you know, it certainly it truly is an arms race. We are joined by the voice of the Oregon Ducks, Jerry Allen, and Jerry. Given that the football team kind of faded at the end of the season, has the basketball team lessened the sting for the fan base up in Eugene? I think it has somewhat, although basketball, it's really odd. You know, Matthew United Arena seats 10,500, and we haven't had full houses and big crowds. We're probably five to 7,000. Really? Um, an undefeated team and an exciting ball club, and, and people just haven't made that transition over there yet. So I'm not sure what's going on. We kind of scratch our heads and look at it and wonder as well. Um, I think that the fans still are upset and disappointed probably is a better word that Oregon didn't win out and get a chance to be in a BCS Bowl, let alone that national championship game. But they they haven't seemed to turn their attentions yet to basketball to, to pick up that void. Jerry Allen, the voice of the Oregon Ducks, joining Spencer Linton and Dave McCann on BYU Sports Nation. Okay, uh, so many uniform options for the football team. Does the basketball team enjoy that uh, reality as well? Yeah, basketball has 162,471. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not really. I, they've got quite a few options, but nothing like football does. I mean, we've got yellow and white and kind of a gray um, a, a carbon color, I guess, if you will, and then we've got a camo that they use when they, when they played over against Georgetown at South Korea, but not nearly the combinations that uh, that football has. That's uh, that's crazy. Every program would love to have a Phil Knight uh, throwing money into it uh, the way he does, especially the interest that he has with with Oregon athletics. Um, does he get a bad rap for for that? I mean, when they come out in these psychotic uh, uniforms or, or people think, oh, you know what, it's just Nike's just rolling truckloads of money over into the Oregon program. They should get every recruit and this and that. I don't know what's true and what's not, but it just does seem to come back to one guy, and that being Phil Knight. Is he that involved in, in Oregon athletics? Yeah, yeah, he really isn't. I mean, he is because he's a great booster, and, and he is a, a big donor. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he you know built that that arena, Matthew Knight Arena, uh, he's put tremendous amounts of money into our football operations building. And, and obviously our Nike uniforms are very well known. But I, I think he gets a bad rap because the reason Phil is so well known is because he's Nike. He's the probably the best-known company in the world in athletics. And so that name just stands out in the crowd. I think if you were to go to Oklahoma, uh, Alabama, certainly USC and Washington could tell you they've got – uh, they probably got a handful of Phil Knights. They just don't have the name that Phil Knight has. So when you start laying down the amounts of money that some of these big schools are getting, I think you'd be surprised to find out that a lot of them are getting as much of, if not more, than Oregon gets from Phil Knight. In fact, 
what, two years ago, Phil gave Stanford, uh, their academics, $100 million because he went to Stanford. So, it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, beca- it's because he's, he's Phil Knight and he's Nike that Oregon, Oregon seems to get a lot more than everybody else. But, and, and we love it. Uh, I tell you what, it makes a difference. But we're definitely not the only school. Talking to Jerry Allen, the voice of the Oregon Ducks, football and basketball here on BYU Sports Nation. Okay, Jerry, you're 10-0 and 0 for, the fir- for the eighth time in program history, the best start since the Aaron Brooks team back in 2006-2007. While the fans aren't showing up full capacity yet, what is Oregon basketball doing so right this year uh, to climb up the rankings? Well, they're playing better basketball than they have in a while with a very veteran ball club. Dana Altman is a kind of an amazing teacher. He's a coach, but I think he's a teacher first, and he's able to bring in transfers, kids who've only got a year or two left, and make them buy into the fact that if they'll work in, buy into his defensive philosophy and what he wants to do, that they'll have a chance to get to the NCAA tournament and maybe get to the Final Four. And they seem to believe that. He's got um, this year probably, I must say, 10 or 11 guys deep on the bench, and he could start any one of those 10 or 11 guys, and and you're not going to drop off a bit. And so they're going to run people. They're going to defend people, although they're still learning to do that. And this is a team that can score better than any team Oregon's had in a while. They have a legitimate five, almost six guys that will score in double figures. And interestingly enough, no one guy is going to be that 25 or 30-point guy and then a bunch of four guys supporting him. Any one, any one guy could be that 25-point guy in a night. So it's a pretty complete team, uh, and that's what they've hung their success on so far. You look at their starting five, and, uh, and we've got Waverly Austin at 6'11", doesn't get a lot of rebounds, um, doesn't score a lot of points, and then you go after him and you look at the sizes of 6'8", 6'5", 6'2", and 5'8". That's not a tall team per se, but you're scoring a ton of points. Well, they're athletic. I, I, I think you can be 6'8", and, and play 6'11", 6, you know, 6'10", and that's what three or four of these guys are doing. Mike Moser at 6'8", uh, can play the five, the four. It can step outside, be difficult to guard because he knocked down the three. They'll bring guys off the bench. Richard Marty is, again, one of those 6'8 guys, and Richard Cook, uh, who are, are guys that are Elgin Cook, rather, who guys that can can play much bigger than they are. They just got through playing UC Irvine. UC Irvine has got a kid named Mamadou Njai, seven feet, six inches tall. They also bring off the bench seven two and two six eleven guys, and Oregon uh, approached those guys as if we're just going to deny the ball inside and then run and wear these guys out, and it, and it worked pretty well. So that was a big test for Oregon, and they didn't know how they'd be able to handle a team that was really much bigger in that front line, but they got the job done. So yeah, you're right. They don't have a, they don't have a lot of height. That's the one thing that's missing on this basketball team is that you know bona fide six eleven seven footer in the middle. Jerry Allen, the voice of the Oregon Ducks on BYU Sports Nation. We appreciate the time and insight. Have a great call on Saturday, Jerry. It's going to be a great game. This is uh, two, two teams that are very disciplined and can score. I think this can be a fun one to, tomorrow night. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Got it, guys. All right. We uh, have a special gift in this holiday season for BYU Sports Nation. Just joining the show on the line is one Dennis Pitta of the Baltimore Ravens. BYU Sports Nation ecstatic to see him back on the field. Dennis, how's it going, man? How you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. Thanks, guys. 
Great. Great to see you back on the field. You caught that first touchdown pass in your first game back from uh, Joe Flacco. Uh, walk us through the, the timeline of, of you getting healthy again after that very severe injury uh, in training camp. Yeah, you know, I got, um, I got injured really the third day of training camp, so right at the end of July. And um, when it happened, I wasn't really, you know, certain on the timeline of when I would be able to come back, if I was going to be able to come back at all. And so, um, you know, early on there was a lot of uncertainty, but you know, we have great doctors and trainers out here that helped me, and, uh, you know, we put together a rehab plan and, and stuck to it, and I was able to get back on the field. Dennis, when uh, when they told you and they finally cleared you to play, and we've watched the Aaron Rodgers saga week in and week out of practicing and then not being able to play, practicing and then not being able to play, when you finally got the green light to return to the NFL, uh, what were some of your thoughts? Well, I mean... You know, it, it, it was an interesting year because with an injury like this, um, you know, there, there wasn't a clear timetable of when I would be able to return. And, you know, this injury is pretty rare in sports. And so, um, you know, even doctors, even though they've, you know, dealt with this injury before, being able to return to the football field, um, you know, that timeline was a, a little bit uncertain. So they left it up to me to how I, about how I felt and, um, you know, how strong I was feeling out there. And, you know, I started practice, um, you know, just doing – some things, individual, whatever I could, routes on air for just a, a couple weeks, and then, you know, felt like I was progressing well and went through a whole week of practice. And, um, you know, when I got the green light from the doctors, um, you know, I, I felt good enough to, to let myself play. What did this injury teach you about yourself when you go back to the first day of camp and you're not really even in contact drills or full pads, and then you suffer an injury like this that sidelines and almost takes away your whole season? You guys are big and tough, and, and I know a lot of times we feel invincible. When you get injured like that in that setting, what, what did that teach you about yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was tough. Um, you know, like I mentioned, after it happened, you know, my status, whether I was even going to play football again, was pretty uncertain. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, things kind of went my way, and it, the damage in my hip wasn't as severe as it could have been. And so I knew I would make a full recovery. Um, but, you know, there was a couple weeks there where, you know, I didn't know if, you know, I was going to continue being a football player. And, you know, you start to kind of put things in perspective at that point and, um, you know, start thinking past football. And that's a tough thing to do when uh, – you know, it's your love. And I think, uh, you know, I, I got a greater respect for the game and what I'm able to do and the health that I enjoy. And, uh, you know, it, it also helped me realize how important, you know, my family and everything else is in my life. And that football's, um, you know, even though I play football, you know, it's not everything that I am. Dennis Pitta joining BYU Sports Nation on the hotline. And, Dennis, what kind of support and uh, – I just guess, love did you get from not only your family and friends, but from uh, BYU Sports Nation? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, over the last few months, I've had tremendous support, really from everywhere. Um, you know, I think I had, you know, a hundred texts the day I got out of surgery, and you know, a lot of them for, were from great friends back at BYU and coaches, and um, you know, a lot of the connections I made back in Utah. And so, um, you know, BYU was always you know, supported me throughout my career. And as a matter of fact, I was able to just see um, Tom Homo and uh, Chad Lewis were at our game Monday night when we played the Lions and got to play against Ziggy. And so, um, you know, I've stayed in great contact with, um, you know, those in the athletic department and in BYU football and um, really cherish my time there and, and all the support I've gotten from them. Dennis, we've got about 60 seconds left here. You have the Patriots, a huge game coming up on Sunday. How's the team feeling uh, at 8-6 and six going in against 10-4 and four New England? 
Yeah, I mean, we feel good with where we're at. You know, it's now in our hands. We control our own destiny, which is always a good feeling. Um, and we're in position to, you know, to get into the postseason. We, we have to win every game to do that. Um, but we're excited about the challenge, and we've been down this road before. So, uh, you know, we've we got to just be able to get it done. Dennis Pitta, if you don't have him on your fantasy football team, go and get him right now. Thanks for the time, my friend. We're rooting for you on Sunday. All right. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thank All right. You. Last few seconds here on BYU Sports Nation. I want to say thanks to Dave McCann for joining me on a Friday. How'd it go, man? It was great. It's good to be here. I'll see you Monday for True Blue. We'll get you ready for Fight Hunger. Then Blaine and I in San Francisco next Friday night on BYU TV. Big thanks to all of our guests, Jerry Allen, Mike Pereira, and Dennis Pitta. That was awesome. BYU Sports Nation signing off for the weekend. Have a great one.